0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Magic Beans podcast. This is episode 149, and my name is Chewy, and I will be your host for this evening. Some of the other beans are doing some prep for the Magic Beans final stream coming up in a couple of weeks. We've given the week off. So we have pulled in a very, very special guest, uh, someone well-known on the Beans Discord and no stranger to finals. Uh, we've got Lyndon with us. How are you, mate? I'm very good. Excellent. Excellent. Good to have you. Thanks for uh, stepping into the breach, as it were. And uh, we've got got a very, very interesting topic and something that, uh, well, at least in the Beans community, you you seem to be uniquely qualified to chat about, and that is statistics and probability and, and how they relate to, to magic. So uh, really keen to to get into those and something that I... You know, allude to a little bit, and I've got some opinions. And I was saying just before we started recording, I actually don't know if I'm correct or not. So uh, we'll get into some of your credentials uh, to uh, to show that maybe you do know what you're talking about, at least more than I do, uh, so, and to see how uh, see how wrong I am. But first of all, I just need to shout out the fine folk at Josh and Pat's MTG Bazaar. They are the official. Sponsor of the Magic Beans podcast and our tournament series. They look after us by uh, providing a large portion of the prize support. So let us run tournaments that are free with really, really inviting prizes. And you can find those over at jpmtgbizarre.com.au. That'll take you straight to their Facebook page where you can bid on physical magic cards seven nights a week premium auctions on the weekend including the a win at now post which are super super competitive so yeah jpmtgbizarre.com.au tell them that the bean sent you have you uh have you bought some stuff from josh and pats over the journey Lyndon?
1: i have i have uh definitely some good bargains to be had in some of those yeah, auctions. It's, it's good fun
0: it's outbidding your friends is one of my favorite things to do
1: <laughs> i saw a couple the other day actually and i saw saw who was leading and i thought well i want those cards but i also would feel a little bit bad depriving the, uh, the the person that I know also desperately wants them.
0: Oh, no, just get in, make them pay an extra dollar. That's good. That's <laughs> good. Uh, so it's, uh yeah, so that's, uh yeah, jpmtgbizarre.com.au. So welcome to the podcast. Uh, we've seen you in our, uh, you know, very active in our Discord. We've seen you in uh, our leagues. Uh, we've seen you in, you know, league finals winning Uh, a league we've seen you at the invitational so you've got a a little bit of at least a magic beans magic pedigree tell us about your broader magic resume if you like
1: yeah or we can we can do a little bit of uh, history and a little bit of uh i guess qualification uh so i started a long long time ago so i started in fourth edition uh and actually in a pre-release had a uh a young younger Ask when I started, and I said that, and he goes, "Oh, that's when my dad started." <laughs> uh, so, yep, played uh, played fourth edition through to Exodus. Uh, had a bit of a break, came back in Darksteel, and just to start with, was was playing for fun, um, and gradually got a little bit more competitive. Made some friends who were playing in the pro tour qualifiers, and after a few of those, I started to make top eights. And then in 2007, I won a Pro Tour qualifier, which was really exciting. It was for the Pro Tour Valencia in Spain. And at Not the a time bad piece, place to
0: travel to there. Not it bad. It was
1: very, very nice. And at the time, the uh, qualification also got you flights as well. So um, Wizards very nicely flew me from New Zealand, which was where I lived at the time, uh, all the way to Spain. And it's uh, somewhat of an epic plane journey of uh, several legs. And the very last leg there was some Americans on my flight complaining about how tough it had been that they'd had to kind of fly over fly over the uh their version of the ditch. Uh and uh, you know, it'd been oh flight of like eight hours or something. And uh, oh, I kinda of looked at them and I said, It's it's Wednesday and I set out on Monday. So that was my uh one and only Pro Tour uh experience so far. Uh certainly okay. been trying to get back there. I've played a lot of Grand Prix events. Uh my best results uh, team event, I came 15th and that was, uh, certainly thanks to two very good teammates that I had. Uh, solo, I've had a 21st, uh, which on, uh, the very final round was a win and in to the top eight of that Grand Prix, uh, and sadly didn't go my way. Uh, I've had a, another four different results, kind of 30th, 32nd, 35th um there and thereabouts so kind of moneyed moneyed finishes at the grand prix um more recently playing at arena i uh, came second in the finals of the esl uh, most recent uh big leagues and tournament that they had and it's been really nice uh being able to play competitive magic with uh kind of not not the constraint of having to set aside the the weekend uh, and travel to a particular place uh, and it's been really nice with the beans events as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So your resume, uh, sounds like you've had a few more, uh, GP higher finishes than me, but yeah, I have a very similar thing with that, that one pro tour and a number of top eights just sort of falling short. I kind of average a, a PTQ top eight per year, but, uh, haven't been yep. able to get back over that line, you know, so I, I feel you <laughs> in that respect. So it's, uh, it's tough, but, uh, you know, it just sort of illustrates how how difficult it is to, you know. They often say the hardest part of the pro tour is actually getting there, and well, now that we don't really have a pro tour, it's doubly hard. But uh, you know, tournaments are notoriously difficult to win. So, uh, but that's uh, that is a admirable, uh, an impressive even um, set of credentials from a Magic perspective. So you've certainly got my uh, my respect there. But uh, you know, relating to today's topic. Uh, around statistics and and probability you've you've got some probably even more impressive credentials in in that space uh including you know uh you know do we do we call you dr linden
1: (laughs) uh certainly not a requirement to to call me doctor um it's uh gets gets pulled out on occasion but it's uh yeah I i think it's a thing you can over you can overdo
0: no no i think th- I think for the rest of the remainder of the podcast i'll uh, I'll refer you to you no I'll see how i go but uh, <laughs> so yes yeah, just uh you've you've got a few initials after your name on your email signature, I'd assume, so can you talk us through those and and how you ended up uh you know with that you know what what uh what drew you to that particular pursuit
1: yeah uh, I guess I, in fact uh, one one workplace said I had too many initials and I had to stop putting putting them even though they had originally demanded that I did put them in. Uh, So yeah, I've got six degrees and diplomas uh, in statistics, finance, economics, sociology. Uh, The the top one being a PhD, which was awarded jointly in statistics and sociology. Uh, And together with that, I've also got a master's with first class honors in statistics uh, and was a statistics lecturer for 15 years. So often uh, people will be talking about statistics, and if they don't know my background, uh, sometimes I just have to hold my tongue. Uh, I think there is, in, inside almost every Magic player, there is a uh, amateur statistician uh, of sorts. Um, and-
0: uh, yeah, definitely. But I, I guess there's that old adage of you know, 74% of statistics are made up, including that one, right?
1: Uh yeah, well, I think Homer Simpson likes to quote uh, something like forty three percent but
0: uh, yeah that was I don't know where that number came from. It just popped into my mind but <laughs> yeah, so I guess that's uh it, that in alone is a the the sorry the the comment that you made about the uh, the magic player with their statistics, and you know everybody's got different experiences, everybody has different results, and everybody has different data points that they collect depending on you know what is important to them uh, in, in, in their games and, you know, thinking of this in, in magic terms, they also have a very small sample size, which is something we may uh, discuss along the way. Uh, but yeah, there's a, a very, you know, there's a lot of information out there around magic now, particularly with arena and, and such. So we've, we've actually got a lot more data or a lot more statistics to consume than we like, ever had ever before. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's um, certainly very, very different from when I first started playing and, uh, yeah, people people weren't really able to collect data. And, in fact, I mean, there, there wasn't even the digital versions of the game. So it certainly opened up a lot more in terms of being able to access. It is. And uh, collect, collect some pretty, pretty robust data in some cases.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's very interesting. And I, I find it very interesting. So whilst I don't have – the, the laundry list of credentials in this space uh, that, that you do. Uh, data, uh, collecting data, statistics, interpreting them and, and using them to make decisions is a part of my role at work. I work for an electronic medical record and I've been involved in a number of uh, medical and other clinical research uh, pieces where I've been in, you know, my role in that has been the, the collection, collation, and presentation of that data to some senior clinicians within my organization, our state, our country, and internationally. And we've used that information to then make, you know, evidence based clinical decisions most recently during the pandemic. So, uh, there's been, you know, it's, it's something that I've contributed to, you know, be, I guess that's the difference. Like you've been somebody who has been, you know, uh, at the sort of the forefront and, you know, teaching people and, and and learning the depths of it. I've been using this in sort of a more, my, my application has been a little bit more niche, but it's certainly part of what I do as my role. And it's something that I, I, I do find really interesting. And you and I, as magic players, there are a lot of, you know, there's a lot of statistics that some of them you need to, you need to consume and make decisions with on the fly. Some of which, uh, are talking points in the sort of broader magic community. So it's, uh, it's, it's often a divisive topic, uh, amongst magic players. It causes a, a lot of, you know, polarizing opinions, uh, and, uh, conversations. And as I said in the intro, I don't know if I'm correct. I've got a, I've got opinions on this. So I'm 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 keen to explore, you know, with your lens onto this topic being uh, coming from a much uh, more knowledgeable place than than my small sample size personal uh, perspective. Uh, I'm interested to see whether I'm on the mark or or whether I maybe need to adjust my thinking. And then that is then a bit of a thought exercise for our listeners who could perhaps apply some adjustments to their thinking and potentially, uh, you know, increase that win percentage, uh, which is, you know, what we all really want to see. Uh, you know, when we, that is the most important statistic emotionally, at least to a lot of magic players is, is, you know, how many games of magic they win. So if we can help bump that up by 1%, then, you know, this is definitely a, uh, a podcast worthwhile listening to.
1: Absolutely, and if we uh, think think about the work that you've been doing, um, you mentioned earlier the uh, that idea of data driven decision making, and really when we're thinking about some of this, we'll, we'll talk about I guess some statistical theory. But ultimately, why why should we care about a lot of this? Is why we uh, want to be able to try and apply this and make decisions, and so that can be the um, say deck building. It can be within the game, making particular decisions about uh, what to do within the game, and if we have a little bit of an idea about about statistics and probability, uh, then hopefully that can help to improve those decisions.
0: Absolutely. So your your last sentence there, you mentioned the word probability, and it is a thing that we we see sort of bandied around. Uh, when people talk about, you know, playing to their outs. Uh, I got mana flooded. Or I really needed to draw a land. And we from our uh, untapped plug-in on Arena, it tells us our, you know, likelihood of drawing a land. So we all think we've got an idea of probability, but could you explain, I guess, more of the textbook uh, version of uh, – well, not version, but explanation of probability and – Uh, you know if you've got any sort of examples that may you know open our eyes a little bit or if there's a you know something that you would always you've always wanted to say to people in those uh, in those instances when they bring up probability and you you feel that they may be missing the mark uh, you know some some things to think about there so I guess what is probability
1: yeah, so I mean, I guess in terms of people missing the mark, it's it's generally not a, with respect to what is probability, but I think more thinking about how how they came up with a pop, particular probability. Uh, if we're thinking about what is probability, we won't go too much into kind of textbook definitions, I don't think, because uh, I think they can be a little bit dry. Uh, but if we just really think about it as the chance of something happening, and uh, at the two two extremes, there is uh, zero and that's the thing of interest is not going to happen and at the other end there's one or a hundred percent if we want to take them in percentages and that's where whatever event we're interested in is definitely going to happen and most of the world falls somewhere in between and certainly in magic it's a game a game which has a component of variance and chance to it Uh, and so that's kind of part of what makes it exciting and why we keep coming back and playing it again and again is that it's it's not deterministic. There's different things that can happen, different cards we can flip over, and it makes it uh, a game that we keep playing over in our our cases many many years.
0: Yeah, yeah. Replayability uh, is is one of the big things with Magic that uh, that does make it great. And you can you know you can play the same two decks together you know multiple multiple times and have a you know a, a ridiculously large. T- uh, variance in in the games that you play like every game is different and that's what makes magic great absolutely so one of the the things that i remember from a course i did around probability and i don't know whether this was true or not uh it was an example given by a uh, a course facilitator so it wasn't a university level course it was uh sort of one of our my organization's uh education partners so interested in see if you have heard about this one in your travels but the idea of having a group of people in a room you know think, think you know 20 to 30 people in a in a course and the probability of some of two people sharing a birthday now have, have yes. you heard of that i have example I have. yeah and yes. it, it seemed really uh unintuitive that you know there are, you know multiple people here all born on different days 365 days in the year the probability of people sharing a birthday was actually way higher than i you know, you would instinctively think, right? So I I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's kind of an example of what you may initially think about probability versus what the actual probability is. So it's a very interesting topic there.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I guess for a little bit of context, we we won't, I don't have the numbers in front of me either, and I can only remember it roughly off the top of my head. Uh, But you only need probably, I think it's, it's in the low 20s, in terms of the number of people for it to be a 50% chance of two of them having the same birthday. And so when, when we map it out on a piece of paper and we say, well, the chance chance that uh, you have the same birthday as me, well, there's 365 days in the year. it seems pretty unlikely. But once, once we expand that out for the fact that there is 20, let's say 22 people, and so there's going to be 21 different possibilities for each person match up with each other person, uh, and just cumulatively, those those little probabilities add up. Um, you can certainly jump on Google, and I think it's probably called something like the birthday birthday probability problem or something like that. Uh, but it is it is one that comes up every so often. You'll you'll get maybe a, a workshop facilitator or someone that thinks the audience hasn't seen it and wants to be a little bit clever.
0: Yeah. it, it, it. It certainly made them sound smart. I'll give them that. Uh, and it was eye opening for us. So I guess, yeah, once you've, once you finish listening to this cast, if you're uh, listening, uh, at home, uh, or if you're driving, don't do it whilst you're driving, please. But, uh, yeah, look that up because it, it is very interesting and a little bit unintuitive. And, uh, I guess from a, from a magic perspective, the, the, the parallel that really comes to my mind would be around a, like a mirror match. Uh, you know, if you're playing a particular deck in a format that's quite diverse, like mm-hmm. say modern, uh, for example, you know, it is, you know, you kind of go, oh yeah, but modern, the top deck's only 10%. So, you know, in a room of 40 people or 50 people in a in a PTQ, what are the chances I'm going to play the Mirror? And that can, it's actually probably higher than you think, uh, you know, if there's 50 people in the room and that deck is... Represented by 10%, then five people in the room, chances of playing that person, the, another uh, person with that, um, that matchup is actually probably higher. So maybe that should influence some sideboard, you know, decisions and things like that. So, uh, so that is sort of a really good example of understanding probability. And how it may relate to your deck choice or your you know sideboarding choices and, and things like that. And we spoke about it on last week's cast uh, in standard, where it's a much more defined metagame with a lot less viable decks than uh, what a format like modern has. Uh, so and having a uh, some main board or side deck choices that uh, you know can give you the edge in that. So it probably comes up, even though we say, oh, you might play against this deck 40% of the time because it's played 40% of the time. It actually may be different to that. So maybe you've got to have a think about uh, how often you, uh, you know, you change up your sideboard, et cetera. So, yeah, very, very interesting there. Uh, another yes. thing around probability, uh, sort of a, a question for you, is around the, the likelihood of drawing particular cards. And I always think about, You know, how many of a particular card should I put in my deck? And I think about Legendary Creatures. You know, there's a cost to playing a Legend. You know, do I play four Shieldreds in my deck? Do I play four Catildas? Do I play four of this copy of this Planeswalker? Because I want to draw it, but if I draw a second one, it might be a dead card. So in a 60-card Magic deck, how big of a difference is playing three of a card versus playing four of a card? Is it actually a tangible, noticeable difference? Yes.
1: Yep. It's a, uh, it's a big difference. There's, uh, probably actually a few other, other things to unpack out of what you just talked about there, uh, before we jump into oh, okay, that one. Okay. Sure. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, if, if you, if, if you like. Um, so the, the first one was, uh, just you're, were, you're were talking about statistics being, uh, not being particularly intuitive at times. And I think that's really, really true. I mean, having taught it for a long time, have having done research, having helped other researchers, and so seen other people dealing with statistics uh there are certain people, and I might be one of them who does find it quite intuitive, but a lot of people do not, and so it's it's very common that things that when you sit down and you map it out on paper, you go oh actually i i i see i see where whether it's the birthday problem or whether it is." Out of how to build your deck, number of lands or things like that. Uh, when you map it out, you go, oh, it makes sense to me now. I can see it. But just thinking about it very quickly and casually uh, can can be quite challenging. So I think it's it's a particular type of thinking. And I, it's something that I do think you can improve with practice. But you need to just be a bit, little bit deliberate about being aware that your intuition's not necessarily going to be right with it.
0: I, I agree with that. I'm, I would say if, if I was, you know, thinking about like a, what's the term? Myers Briggs type personality thing. uh, Oh, yeah. You know, (laughs) maybe I'm opening a can of worms there, but you know, the the, the way that different people's brains work. Where, so if you, you enjoy numbers and statistics, uh, where I'm more of a, I'm more of that middle range where I, I appreciate numbers and statistics, feel their importance, uh, do enjoy them to prove uh something particular but i also put a lot of stock in uh you know the 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 human people emotions side of things as well Uh, and but there are certainly you know everybody's on a range there somewhere where you know what they sort of gravitate towards some people you show them a set of numbers and their eyes glaze over they just don't absorb it but if you can uh, talk to them about actions and reactions uh and and emotions then they they get it it's like asking somebody to describe the ocean some people will say that it you know it's wet uh and it's big (laughs) and it's uh where other people will talk about it being you know life-giving and calming and, and and things and whilst they're both correct uh they're both giving very different answers to 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 the same question so uh yeah it's a the the personality type i guess is a uh dictates sort of how you what sort of value and stock you put on what you put on statistics and for a lot of us who don't have that as a strength you know it's not something that they they gravitate towards And, and counting myself absolutely amongst those there's an area there's an opportunity there to improve as a magic player by by broadening uh, our knowledge and our understanding and and introducing that into our decision making when we are you know building our decks and indeed playing games, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I think we'll we'll we we'll quickly open and close that can of worms that you you okay. mentioned. yeah I'm uh, so uh, so the Maya Briggs, uh, I've done a lot of work in psychometrics, and the Maya Briggs I would put on par with astrology. Mm-hmm. Uh, it fails all of the requirements of um what a psychometric measurement should require uh and in fact i have seen people regularly enough posting about it on linkedin that i'm going to be doing a youtube pretty uh in the pretty near future that uh explains all the things that are wrong with it but uh i'll get off the soapbox no no that that is fine shut up about the myers briggs
0: we'll circle back on it but it's something that i did (laughs) mean to do uh in the intro is uh i just want to give you so 10 seconds shameless plug for your youtube channel, cause you, you are a fellow magic content creator. So we'll, we'll do it in the, the wrap up as well. But since it's come yeah, up, yeah. yep. Uh, so, uh, give your YouTube channel a plug and shorty, uh, in post, if you can add the, the link to Lyndon's, uh, YouTube channel to the show notes. And please, if you haven't already, uh, like, follow, subscribe, all that good stuff, because, uh, great gameplay and just great, uh, magic content, uh, or, to be had in that, so uh, give him a bump up. So, uh, what's the name of your channel? Yeah, so I, I guess the funny thing here
1: is I've I've got a couple of channels, and the one that would normally be relevant here would be my gaming one, uh, which was called Bayesian Gaming. It re- recently got renamed LWAL 36 because it's my username on a lot of stuff. Uh, but I actually have a slightly bigger and certainly more more content, more regularly statistics channel.
0: Okay, I have the YouTube tab open. I'm, I'm ready to search for you.
1: Yeah, so um, if you search Dr. Lyndon Walker, um, so there, here is a spot where adding the doctor. Uh, if you search without the doctor, you might get the rapper, uh, who at one stage I sold a Twitter handle to. Um, but I think that's, that's a whole, a whole nother story, which is, uh, really deviating us away from, uh, magic and stats. <laughs> uh,
0: that's okay. Uh, regular listeners to the magic beans podcast know that I love a tangent. So, uh, th- <laughs> this is actually a relevant one, uh, in, in 149 episodes, having my first relevant tangent uh is is a bit of an achievement for me. So Excellent. I have uh I've just hit the subscribe button there. So uh, oh, if wonderful. You, if you're listening there please do the same. I'll uh, I'll check out some yeah, of the videos yeah. for sure. Excellent.
1: Yeah, so um so circling back around I think we we had the question around uh, copies of cards in the deck and uh, so this and prior prior to that the uh, the comment about the likelihood of running into particular matchups. And so there's really two Two particular things that I think would be most helpful for a magic player in terms of statistics and probability. Uh, so one is conditional probability. And conditional probability is more or less kind of what it sounds like where we adjust our probabilities to be conditional on a particular state or a particular thing happening. So we can look and we can say, well, there's there's 40 players in this tournament, so therefore It's one out of 39 chance of of running into a particular person. Um, But perhaps all the good players are on a uh, particular type of deck. And so you may end up running into that more or less often, depending on how you're doing and depending on what you're playing. Conditional probability is also a really, really big thing in terms of during the game. Uh, So maybe you need to think about a card that you're playing around and the opponent, the list that uh, you may not know exactly, but you might kind of go, okay, I think it's a fairly stock list. They're going to have four of, um, let's say it's four play with fires and four lightning strikes, uh, but they've already played three of their play with fires, and we haven't seen the lightning strike yet. Uh, so we need to need to adjust uh, adjust kind of that, that mental calculation for the fact that even though they started with four of each, if three of one of them have already gone past, uh, that's that's going to change the likelihoods of uh, them drawing one or the other. Um, so conditional probability is a big one. And the other one, uh, which relates to the uh, number of copies of cards in the deck, is what's called the hypergeometric distribution. Uh, and so this is basically what we use if we want to try and work out the probability of out of a certain number of replications. And so in this case, drawing a... Um, if we think about, say, the opening hand, I'm going to draw seven cards out of 60. Uh, what's the chance of seeing at least one of my key cards in that hand? Uh, and this is a pretty helpful one. So hypergeometric distribution. Uh, Frank Carsten on Channel Fireball a couple of years ago did a really, really good, thorough article. Uh, if, if there was one, one link, one thing that you were going to click and go and do, um, I guess, other than subscribing to all our channels, uh, it would be to go and read that article Uh, because I think that is a really, really useful one. Uh, And once you've read it, you might might kind of go, okay, well, I'm going to think about this more in my deck building. Uh, And it's certainly something that when I'm thinking about uh, particular card choices, it will be one thing that I will look at. Uh, If you jump on Google, there's a number of magic sites have hypergeometric calculators. And so you can put in, uh, for instance, I have four copies of a card, what's the chance of getting at least one in the opening hand? And then you can adjust it and you can go, okay, well, if I only had three of that card, what's the chance of getting it in the opening hand? Or what's the chance of getting it in my first 10 cards? So my my opening hand plus my first three draws. Uh, and you can think about whether wh- whether that makes a difference to how many of that card you put in. The more copies of a card we have in the deck, the more likely we are to see it. But also the more likely we are to see the duplicates.
0: And that's, that's my legend uh, conundrum, I guess, right? So yep. yeah, so I'm interested to, to hear about that for sure.
1: Yeah, so I mean the I can't remember all the figures quite off my head, but the, um, the, the first one we'd think about if we've got four copies, there's roughly a 40 percent chance that we'll have at least one in our opening hand. Um, and at least one means it could be two. Uh, could be three or four, although the the odds of that are become much lower. And some of it is not so much thinking about the probability, but thinking about the impact and importance of that card. So if we are playing, uh, maybe we're playing that grinning igneous uh, combo deck, we we want to maximise the chance of seeing combo pieces. We will definitely run four four of every single combo piece, even even though some of them are legendary.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. So I I played a lot of Crack clean Ironwork combo in in yep. modern and you know sometimes you drew a, a second copy and it was a little bit redundant. Uh, yes. But you would rather have two than none, right? In in that combo deck, yep. uh, pers- uh, yeah. Situation. And, Absolutely.
1: And then we 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 can start thinking about other not not really statistical elements in terms of how important is this card? How likely is this card to either die or get answered by the opponent Uh, but so i might be looking at say the current esper standard lists and some of them run quite a few legends and you might look and you might say well you know the two drop ones they're 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 okay but they're not they're not amazing maybe i'm not going to put them in uh if the meta maybe changes and there's uh, a lot of a lot of creature removal then i might think about it a little bit differently and i might say well I certainly don't want the second one, but the odds are the first one's going to get lightning struck or or cut down or something happened to it so high, and I do want that card, then actually the fourth one is going to be okay. Um, And then also deck construction, there can be other cards like Fable, where redundancy is fine because I can just discard and draw more cards
0: yeah absolutely and so when you talk about esper instead i thought about rafine and it was like if i draw too many copies of rafine i can just uh discard it to my rafine and and you know get the benefits there but yeah a a really practical example of that is when the the format rotated and Shieldred uh what became standard legal decks Mm -hmm. were playing two Shieldred, like like the week one metagame decks nobody quite understood how good the card was yet uh and like two was a number that I saw in, uh, in, in a lot of initial deck lists, like week one deck lists, right? And yep. then very, very quickly we, we saw that go up to four. People realized how good the card was and that has stayed at four. Sometimes you see them come down to three uh, and that's kind of where they sort of settle in the metagame, but that's such an important card in standard that people started, you know, adjusting their decks to play answers you know they'll, they'll play destroy evil or you know other other creature removal spell that could kill a, a five toughness creature uh so you you often play your shieldred knowing that you're going to get a card off your opponent and probably two damage to them and that, that's a that's a fine exchange for four mana uh, in your mid-range deck that's looking for small incremental advantages, uh, and you're going to then you know play your second copy, and you know the chances of them having an answer statistically drop uh, because there are only so many cards in the standard format capable of dealing with a shieldred. So you know you want to play as many as possible because you know they have they'll, they'll have they may have an answer, they're less likely to have two, and that was something that I thought about a lot with, with you know, coming back to Crackland Ironworks, a Braid or Colligan's Command. You know, people weren't necessarily main decking those cards in any great numbers and nor were they sideboarding them in any great numbers. So I always wanted, you know, when it was such an important card, I wanted to have more copies of that card than they had answers uh, because I wanted to be able, you know, if the first one got dealt with, I wanted to have another one have access to another one, which would then win me the game. so that's kind of the intuitive statistics uh in in sort of action there, but it does make sense and you know the more you think about it, the sort of the deeper you go and you start sort of extrapolating down to you know if this card's important, I should play more copies is is the ultimate sort of piece of advice, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's other things other things at play though i mean there can be a little bit of a prisoner's dilemma game going on in terms of. Yeah you know, if i if i don't if i don't i mean the classic one is a control deck saying well i could just run no creatures and then all your creature removal is useless. Um so kind of thinking about what are those possibilities um for some deck building so i mean coming back to the esper deck again it's got a whole lot of kind of twos and threes of cards where there's not some cards we can look at and we can say this card is definitely better than this other card. But i think in standard in particular at the moment There is a whole lot of pretty powerful cards. But is the third copy of this one better than the second copy of the other one? Is the fourth copy of this one better than the third copy of the other one? Uh, How much space do I have for my three drops and my four drops? There's there's a whole lot of kind of optimization that we're having to do around do do I want kind of this diversity or do I want to just ensure that I'm going to see this one, this one, and this one?
0: Yeah, and it comes down to, you know, why are you including this card, right? So I, I'm including this card because I need to deal with opposing shieldreds. And then you then have to calculate how often you're going to see that versus, you know, how important it is. Because two shieldreds almost kind of you know, balance each other out. You know, if, if people were only drawing one card per turn and there was no sort of difference between, uh, card draw elements in opposing decks. But, you know, if I play a Shieldred and you play a Shieldred, then, you know, th- there's always that sort of, uh, parody that is, uh, met. But if, you know, the moment somebody discards cards off, uh, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, uh, and, and draws extra cards and they're ahead, or if somebody draws a removal spell and, and, uh, hits the opposing shoulder but it it kind of brings brings you down to you know understanding how important those numbers really are which is uh you know it's it's often as as we said not intuitive so it's something that is uh, absolutely worth thinking about and worth improving your understanding of i, I think which is uh re- which is really really good so also, also the you know you mentioned it before just the sheer number of lands um, that you include in your deck, from a statistics perspective, and you know, in relation to your your mana curve.
1: That's def- definitely a um, definitely an important one in terms of how many lands, and also that that color distribution. So if I'm two colors or three colors, uh, and again, this is where the jumping onto one of those hypergeometric calculators and saying, well, if I have seventeen black sources how often and again just if you google there's there's tables i think frank carsten had an article in fact a few articles with the um just some tables with if i have this many lands and there's this this number of each of the three color sources of its three color deck what's the chance that i am going to have double black or double white or triple green i guess triple i guess four four x black is the, the the magic one at the moment uh, so what what's the chance of those happening uh, and it's been one i've been thinking about quite a lot recently uh, playing pioneer i've been playing the heroic deck and a lot of decks are running showdown in the sideboard but as a four drop you need to be really cognizant that if you only run 20 lands and in fact a lot of those builds it's 18 lands then two which are the uh, double face spell spell lands being able to hit that fourth land on turn four, though that probability is, is actually not that high. Um it gets a little bit trickier if we're trying to account for drawing cards off um strikes and angers and things like that. Uh but it's the kind of thing where if you are running a fairly low land count, uh and in fact actually on the Beans Discord a while ago, uh someone was asking about uh mono blue, different builds of mono blue, uh, and happened to mention well why don't people run delver and hellbreaker horror uh
0: and i do remember that conversation yes yeah
1: and it's um normally if it's a delver deck it might have 20 21 maybe 22 lands there's, there's probably a bit of card draw and cycle in there uh but in order for you to get up to seven lands uh and that's assuming that you just want seven and, and not kind of some buffer to cast some some spells at the same time uh if you've only got 21 in total in the deck. I mean that, that's a 30-year lands that you're going to have to hit. Uh and that's assuming you're playing one a turn.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's that is is really really interesting uh and something that we have really seen magic deck building mature in over the last maybe decade, I I would say. So when I first started playing competitively, a lot of decks were kind of that 20-20-20 split and People complain about Meta screw a lot. And then we saw, you know, a, a shift to people playing, you know, uh, in some cases, you know, 27, 28, 29 lands. And that is mitigated somewhat by the, the double faced cards, some um, things like the, you know, the, I can't remember the name of the red one that, you know, red, red and X to deal X damage to things. And, uh, yep. yep. Yeah, the so the, the, the
1: shadow skull and the yeah, the spike field Wari disruption and, the, and 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 things yep. like
0: that. So uh, it mitigated somewhat, but peop- the land count went really high, and uh, you know also that is part of just magic cards have gotten more powerful. So the impact of the spells that you cast are higher than they were ten years ago. But it's a it's uh, definitely been a shift. If you go back and look at any competitive tournament deck from from a decade ago, they have just straight up less lands than, than they have now. Yes. And people have figured out that, you know, you really need to make those land drops and you really need to to be able to cast your, your big expensive spells. So if you had said to me in, I don't know, maybe like Kamigawa Time Spiral era that my aggressive deck should be playing 24 lands because I want to play and equip, you know, Umazawa's Jite on the same turn, I would have, I would have thought you were wrong. You know, my my intuition would have said, no, I'm just going to Mana Flood all of, time, all of the time. But uh, it would have meant that I could, you know, play my spells on curve. It would have meant that I could play and equip the, my, you know, important card. I could double spell more consistently on turn three or four and gain those advantages. And whilst there may be, uh, a small number of instances where i I'd, I'd flood uh i would actually uh i would actually win more games by by playing less spells which just sounds you know less spells in my deck more lands less spells it just sounds unintuitive but you know we've learnt as the magic community that that is actually correct right
1: yeah absolutely it's it's funny thinking about back to the twenty 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 uh the back in the old days. The, uh, st- when there was a starter starter decks that was in the instructions it, we recommend you play 20 lands 20 spells and 20 creatures uh wow <laughs> that, that was uh a different a different time uh, admittedly uh but yeah i definitely uh completely agree with what you're saying in terms of the number of lands and i think that's where Looking, looking at a table or looking at uh, one of the calculators. Uh, and, in fact, I did it recently, building a uh, growl aggro deck. And I had looked at the builds, and some people had 24 lands, and some had 23. Every once in a while you saw a 22. Uh, and it caps out at four uh, four drops. So it's got the um, just the seven four drops. Raiju?
0: is that the? Yep, so yep, it's got
1: yep. the Raiju uh, and the ha- uh, Halana and Elena uh and so i just for my own deck building sat down and kind of said okay well here's here's the probability of hitting land four on turn four if i go down a land here's what it is if i go up a land here's what it is and i had to think about well what would i rather to happen uh and in that particular case i did drop the land so i did go down to 22 uh and i think it was maybe four four or five percentage points in terms of the um, not hitting that turn for fourth land. So I was taking a risk, uh, but at the same time, then there was a couple of percentage points, the other direction of not hitting land six, seven, eight, kind of the ones that I didn't need. And so that, that was kind of a very, a thought out risk. But I think that is something that you do see particularly with newer players and um, some people that don't, don't really think quite as much about it uh, is that they will, they will take those shortcuts on lands without thinking about the risk and then kind of in some cases complain a whole lot uh, for something that was in fact quite self-inflicted.
0: So that is a, uh, that that I think is a a, a really good point. And, the that not not just like adding a land or, or removing a land but what the and and what that means for your success as in you know do i do i hit that fourth land on turn four often enough or but also conversely does am i going to hit land seven which i is just I, I don't need a seventh land in my deck in in a in a game of magic that lasts x amount of turns if i if i hit six lands that is like my optimal you know operating uh manner so yeah not only do i need to hit that fourth land but i don't want to draw more than six and finding what that uh that likelihood is and that kind of speaks to the the notion of like decisions rather than outcomes so if you if you you're making yes. the decision cuz you'll always get outliers that that happens when things are you know have randomness uh but if you make the right decision often enough, you will come out ahead more often, right? Yep. And, yeah.
1: And if, if you listen, listen to top poker players talk about poker, uh, and I mean, there's, there's a lot of pretty transferable skills. And in fact, there's been top magic players that have gone on to do particularly well in poker as well. Uh, they, they will talk about making, making the right decision. So they did the right thing given the information that they had. Uh, and they knew just just like as magic players we know we don't have perfect information there's something going on uh, in the opponent's hand we don't know what it is Uh, we can maybe maybe use a bit of deduction try and figure out Uh, but with that in mind we we need to try and make the best decision and then if it didn't turn out right we can review it and i think it's really valuable to think about decisions where the outcome wasn't favorable and go well is that how i would do it again and not focus too hard on the fact that the outcome wasn't favourable, but did I did I do and think about the right things uh, in order to make that decision?
0: So I've got a uh, a good example of that. I think a good example uh, where I've been able to over the course of playing Magic for a number of years, particularly in Limited, which is definitely you know one of the ways I really enjoy interacting with the game. I have a two drop. My opponent has a two drop. They attack. I'm going to block 100% of the time because sometimes they're just trying to push through damage. They're an aggressive deck. They're trying to get free damage. So I'm going to block. I'm going to trade with their creature. It's a one-for-one. One. The board, they're going to play a three-drop. I'm going to play a three-drop. The the game state hasn't changed too much. Also, then, if they have a combat trick, you know, giant growth effect, They they play that giant growth effect. They, I trade my two drop for their combat trick, which if I don't trade with is going to be played later in the game anyway. So I, I need to effectively deal with it. They spend mana on their combat trick. They may not be able to play their three drop that turn. I untap, play my three drop. I've played my three drop. I've got the initiative in the game. So I've learned over the course of playing, you know, a lot of limited games in that situation Snap, put my guy in front. If you've got a trick, I don't have to play around the trick anymore. I've saved a bit of mental capacity, bit of processing power, and I may actually get the advantage, uh, then on the board. So it's, uh, using that information and that review over the course of however many games, uh, that's the decision I've come to. It's not always right. Sometimes they, you know, they are able to, you know have another trick or they've got something else that affects the game but the majority of the time in my experience that has been the right choice to make
1: Yeah, that's it's interesting that's that's definitely not how and I, I've played a lot of limited um, not how I would have thought about it uh, I would I would definitely not make a snap maneuver even if even if that was my decision and even if I'd already decided kind of after I'd played my thing and I going into their turn, um i would i would kind of try and just do a little bit more deliberately just so that they they are thinking that i'm thinking
0: that's a really good point absolutely and maybe maybe i'm just using a heuristic too liberally there and yeah uh, there are I other mean, elements I, of the gameplay that i'm not taking advantage of there so good really yeah, good yeah i mean I'm i learning. And,
1: and so i would i would certainly be thinking a lot about context so what's in my deck what's in their deck um the there's a kind of a, it's pretty old but i think still very relevant um i think it was an article originally uh and then i think he may have even turned it into a book mike floors um who was okay. a pro player from a long time ago uh and it was it was who is the beat down uh and if if you're attacking and your opponent's attacking and you're both being the aggressor then a lot of the time one of you is doing it wrong because the the generally there should be someone who is being the aggressor and the other is uh kind of defending or taking the more controlling role uh and so being trying to figure out that um if if we're thinking about depending on what limited format uh some color color combinations are going to be more aggressive than others and so that might mean that i do or don't want to take a trade um if if say someone's naya and it's going to be some sort of token strategy i want to stop them going wide Um, maybe they've got pump effects that um, matter about going wide then keeping the board clear is going to be more important Uh, whereas maybe a gummed board is actually going to be fine because I'm going to have some flyers I'm going to fly over the top Um, so I I would be thinking a lot about context Um, probably not explicitly conditional probability but in some ways it is kind of what you're doing you're thinking about what are those those f- future circumstances.
0: Yeah, you're thinking about it at a sort of a macro level, right, where you, you're you going, you know, I have – I based on the color combinations, based on what I understand about the format, I'm going to have more flies or I'm going to have bigger creatures or I'm going to have more removal than my opponent and, uh, you know, sort of zooming out a little bit and thinking, you know, uh, am I better off trading here or not because w- what is you – know, ultimately – I'm here to win this game of magic. And what am I going to, what decisions do I need to make to best influence the outcome that I want? So yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. Good discussion. Absolutely. And you're right. I I probably make those decisions a little hastily and uh, <laughs> something I'll take on board. So that, that that's great. So if you're in the same boat as me uh, or you you haven't really thought about that, there's definitely a couple of sides there and, like every decision in magic there's a lot to to think about, <laughs> so but yeah I, I think but but going back to that that point though around using you know statistics using probability likelihood or the whatever term we want to use, and making the what is the right decision as often as we can uh, as often as we're we're capable or as often as we identify that decision uh versus trying to you know, being influenced by corner cases where, you know, that time two matches ago, they drew the fourth copy of that card in their top 15 cards. And, you know, that's not always going to happen. It's like when somebody says, I don't want to play Vintage, everybody just wins on turn one and that's not fun. Like, I, I think I I'd probably say once I've lost on turn one in Vintage, uh, you know, yes, it is pro- possible. And I guess it's the difference between possibility and probability. Uh, and that's, I think, what we see a lot of in uh, people that are vocal about things yes. like the arena shuffler. And, and things. <laughs> yep. So the, yeah, when you're talking about something that is random or as close as we can, um, you know, when we're talking about ones and zeros of programming, as close to random as we can get, a lot of things are possible right and that might mean drawing you know six lands in a row random doesn't mean that you get an even distribution
1: i think that's a really important point uh and in fact me me as a statistician who i think when i'm needing to kind of bite my tongue and be a little bit civil and not not engage um just i guess for as much for my own kind of sanity uh what what we often will see is cognitive biases, uh, and so the, the the cognitive biases. And you kind of mentioned the oh something happened four games ago, or I saw this thing, or this happens all the time. And I mean, the shuffler is certainly an example, although it's it's maybe a separate issue. So we might we might kind of set that aside and talk about that one separately because there's there's some other other potential stuff going on there. Um, but some of those those kind of choices where people then complain often it is those cognitive biases that are that are kicking in and though those are kind of overriding what the actual the actual probability would be um and losing turn one on vintage another example um, yeah i don't i don't know what the exact figures i mean it's it's a format on on magic online so probably somewhere there is there is some figures uh on on what's happening there but it's it's gonna probably be lower. actually much a low nu- lower number than than you you would expect, um, and it is yeah it's possible but not probable
0: exactly. And I I guess that you know like we we're we're getting close to the hour, and I, we could probably do a whole podcast just on that. So we we'll <laughs> definitely get you back. But I guess you know the the kind of the the, the kicker at the end, talking about the you know, the the arena shuffler and the the algorithm that it uses. I've done a little bit of reading on this. I'm not sure how much you've uh, you looked into sort of uh, the you know true random versus what we're able, what random distribution uh, algorithms we can we can have to apply to things like arena. But you know, uh, in your in your opinion, is the the arena shuffler sufficiently random? Because it's never going to be truly random because it has to you know, generate a number based on an algorithm. Uh, But do you feel it's sufficiently random or do you have, do you even have an opinion on that? I guess is the first question.
1: Uh, Yeah, I I guess an opinion, but not a, not a super strongly held one. So I think we we probably should start off with a bit of a definition um so kind of there's this idea of random uh where we've got numbers there's no there's no particular pattern uh that's gonna come out of them uh in the case of uh something like this where we're we're any anything with cards or dice or anything like that uh we're kind of assuming that each thing's going to be equally likely Um, In stats more broadly, you can have probability distributions where different things have different chances, but it's not, not really relevant to us here. Uh, But then we have this idea of um, pseudo randomness. And so any, any time we're talking about randomness that's generated by a computer. So whether you are asking Excel to produce a random number, uh, whether magic online or arena is, Uh, the code there is doing something randomly and we'll we'll say that with some quotes around it Um, then this is actually pseudo-randomness there will be an algorithm of some sort uh, and these can vary in exactly how they go about generating randomness Um, certainly years ago one of the very popular ones was something like truncation of the number of milliseconds since the computer had been turned on divided by some date from 1900 there there, there was like a weird thing that it wasn't random but the chance that there would be a pattern in it was just so minuscule if we were looking at you turning your computer on you could not time that in milliseconds um, so it would be a thing that just happened to happen happened kind of randomly again with quotes around it then an algorithm is built around that um in terms of how arena does its randomizing uh without seeing their computer code i don't know and so in terms of the kind of the people saying is the shuffler broken is the shuffler random uh if given that we can't see the code it's very hard for us to say yes or no Uh, I would like to think that it was coded with some pretty reasonable pseudo-random principles. Uh, I would be surprised if it were not. In terms of other people that say there is an issue there, uh, I've seen two groups. Uh, So one group is people where it is very much that kind of confirmation bias Mm -hmm. uh, or recency bias where they just say, oh, you know, it screwed me again, so it must be it must be broken. Uh they are also benchmarking against what they think is happening when they play with physical cards quite often. That was very noticeable uh when Arena first started and it was a new wave of players, and I could remember it from when Magic Online first started. because uh, the physical act of shuffling whilst it should be randomizing, uh, and that is the idea of doing all the shuffling. There there is this physical element to it uh that makes it actually often less random when you just have those physical cards uh you've kind of scooped them up in a particular way off the table you've kind of put some sideboard cards in there. you maybe had a bit of a flick through and even if you kind of riffle it and split it and riffle it, and people that have played against me uh in real life will have noticed quite how uh I guess enthusiastically or violently uh I will riffle shuffle sometimes um it's it's still not quite the same as having a computer do it so anyone that's kind of making those comparisons saying it feels different uh i don't think they have any grounds to Uh, be able to say that there is a problem there
0: and it comes back to that probability versus possibility thing as well uh yeah totally yeah and it's interesting like you mentioned your shuffling habits we all have different shuffling habits which would influence how random things are even uh the way that some people sideboard when i bring in cards in my sideboard i kind of in my hand random air quotes randomly shuffle the you know number of sideboard cards and then distribute those throughout my deck and then shuffle like i would you know at the at the start of a match but you know the number of shuffles the number of riffles the number of splits that we all do is all different
1: yeah and i mean i guess if someone wanted to go really deep on that if you got a whole lot of individually colored sleeves and kind of followed where they went so did your normal shuffling did your normal riffling uh and you might actually see that if there's one kind of on the top and one halfway through and you cut the deck in half and then you riffle and then you do the next move and then the next move that the, uh, the there's kind of potentially some some pattern happening there that is pattern we wouldn't expect to see out of out
0: of computer might be another YouTube video there, my friend uh, so <laughs> that's uh, that, I, I think that is that is really important uh to for people to understand and I think your your point is you know we don't truly know how how it is coded but it's it's workable right
1: well i believe on reddit there was someone that had collected a whole lot of data and was trying to make some sort of case about it based on i think it was arena rather than magic online i didn't they they were clearly very passionate about it and they'd written an awful lot and i valued my time more than reading uh all of it because it just it felt like there was a little bit of a conspiracy theory element to it so I don't know in terms of that where there is actually some empirical evidence there. Um, but I think you need, to be, you need to be careful in a couple of ways. One is that if you collect a very large amount of data, uh, then we have this thing called statistical significance where we are looking to detect differences. Uh, if you get a big enough set of data, it becomes very easy to detect a difference, mm-hmm. uh, but those det- differences can still happen by chance. Um, but kind of above and beyond that, something can be significant but not really particularly meaningful. Um, so I might—it's a um, little bit like if I had a coin and I, I flipped the coin, and it's like, well, this coin should be fifty-fifty, and and for some reason I've flipped it uh, ten thousand times, and it's like, oh, no it's a bit off. And then ten thousand and one times, well, now it's definitely off. And yeah, there is that theoretical. We could keep going to infinity and eventually it should be 50 50. There could be kind of a physical element, but even if it's flipping the digital, the digital coin, um, the digital coin isn't, isn't going to be 50 50 kind of even over what we might, you and I might think is a pretty big sample because that 50/50 is is thinking about kind of infinity which is which is much much bigger and much much further away.
0: Absolutely. We we might say oh we've got 10,000 games and when and you know it's it's 40% not 50% like 10,000 games compared to infinity is is significantly smaller. So uh the, yeah, I think that's a a, a a a a good perspective on it.
1: Yeah, I mean I uh, often we were talking talking about that kind of, a, I mean, it wouldn't even be forty sixty. It would be like 50.001 and 49.999.
0: Exactly. Exa- yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I, I probably used an unrealistic yeah. number there, but yeah, absolutely. But I think in terms of arena, one of the things that uh, is often overlooked by people that are vocal around, you know, with, with those often very passionate thoughts on that topic is we're all actually on the same platform. Like we, we have yes. the same algorithm, we have the same pseudo random shuffler that uh, that yeah. we're, we're all engaging with. So there's that notion of, oh, that I always lose in this situation, uh, which is that, that recency yep. bias, which is, the, you know, all of the other those other elements that then makes the assumption that there's somebody always winning in that situation, which isn't true right so well
1: well maybe maybe it's not maybe it's not someone always winning maybe everyone else is always winning and it's just you that's uh it's just you that's having to suffer all these terrible defeats um And I think if that's if that's the case, then maybe it's a psychologist rather than a statistician. Exactly,
0: exactly. And that's that's a whole other podcast for sure. But it's uh, it's interesting though because that's there, and and I always think you know you see on you know different forums where people say, oh look, I've got six lands in my hand, and it's like, well, show me the other hundred games either side of this game. Exactly. Uh, You know that sort of thing. So yeah. yeah, so very interesting, and it's like a bit of a polarizing topic, but. It's, it's great to get your insights on that as somebody who has a, a much better understanding of, of how that works than the layman such as myself. And, you know, honestly, you know, a large part of the magic community. So uh, I have absolutely loved picking your brain on this topic and, and something that I would like to in the future, get you back on and delve a little bit deeper, you know, uh, in the future. I've, I've enjoyed having you on. It's been a, you know, I've missed cracker but I haven't you know it's nice not to have to talk to shorty every now and then <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh I just a little barb there knowing that he's going to have to listen to this to to, uh, to do the editing but uh been an absolute pleasure I, I think it's been um yeah a really insightful topic uh, I've learned a lot hopefully our, our listeners have as well so uh we'll get to the to the wrap up stage so uh, just a, a reminder again of your uh, your YouTube channel for, for those to go and give you a, a, a like and a follow.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think if you just search Dr. Lyndon Walker, I mean, youtube.com slash Dr. Lyndon Walker should, should get you there. Amazing. Yeah. just kind of stats, stats and other, other bits of, uh, randomness.
0: Well, if you've enjoyed what we've talked about today, then, uh, there, there'll be a, uh, a wealth of content there for you to, uh, to take a look at the other, uh, the other thing is, if we've got our league finals, our Dominaria league finals, our group stage just finished, where we've got our top sixteen. Uh, I haven't actually checked the list. Did you? Did you make the finals of your group this time? I around? did
1: not. It was uh, the, there was a number of us on three two. It was quite a competitive. Uh, oh, group. you were in the and group was... of death. Yes. No, no. I've I've been in the group of death the last three or four times starting to think that maybe I was the, the 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 death part of the group of death.
0: As as a league winner and invitational competitor, you'd certainly contribute to when when we're looking at the data elements which make up the group of death, you, you know, which group you're in is <laughs> certainly consideration there. Absolutely. So uh yeah I I ended up two three in the end. I lost to Hemsey and I lost to no three two. Three two, I was yeah, but uh, just missed out on um, on qualifying for finals. Although as a bean, my invite passes down, but uh, didn't quite get there myself as well. But it's um, underway, and on the fifth of November, uh, usually we start around eleven a.m. The uh, Dominaria League finals will kick off. We'll stream that uh, from the 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 Bean Studio, as it were. Uh, we'll have a whole bunch of uh, coverage on our matches. We'll have on-stream giveaways and we'll watch our competitors battle it out for around $500 worth of cash and prizes. But also this is the last opportunity to get those qualification points for the Magic Beans Invitational, which will be around a month later uh, where we'll have, you know, in the thousands of cash and prizes and a uh, chance to be crowned the third ever Magic Beans invitational winner and get a fancy token and all the rest of it so uh please tune in on the fifth and i look forward to hanging out with you on stream uh if you want to find us uh on all of the socials websites etc just go to magicbeanscast.com all of our uh, information is on there and i did see today that the distributor for our merch has got a 30% off sale. So if you do want to grab yourself some Magic Beans merchandise, effectively the, the shipping or more is is covered by that discount. So great time to jump on and grab some Beans merch and then uh, you, can, you can rep that at your next event, which is uh, always great to see. Uh, if you want to find me specifically uh, on Twitter, you can find me at ChewyMTG. Do you have a Twitter as well?
1: yeah uh dr lyndon walker on there as well pretty much pretty much anywhere that's uh the way to find me uh the, the the lyndon walker i did have for a while and that was the one that got uh passed on to a rapper and uh i think he's now abandoned his rap career which uh you can you can go on youtube and see why
0: okay no problem at all <laughs> so doc make sure you put the doctor in front there uh when, when looking it up uh, you'll thank us yep. for it uh so thanks very much for your time i really appreciated it uh really insightful uh thanks everybody for listening uh we'll see you next time here on the magic beans podcast